What's going on, guys? It is Wednesday, March 25th. This week on the podcast, I have Kirsten Pomalis. Uh, I hope I'm saying your last name right. Kirsten and I discussed the importance of coalitions in the blockchain space and how it helps foster growth and collaboration. We also follow up on ideas of governance, like we discussed last week with Thomas Cox, and we have a fantastic conversation on that as well. So as always, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain, coalitions, and governance. Enjoy. This is the Blockhash Podcast. All right, Kirsten, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Brandon. Absolutely. Um, I know times have been turbulent and hard to schedule things and a lot of stuff going on with this virus, but again, thank you for coming on and taking the time. Um, before we kind of jump into everything, can you tell me a little bit about uh, your backgrounds and how you got into what you're doing now uh, to give the audience uh, some perspective on who you are? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Kristen Tamala Um I live in Washington, D.C., and I... I'll say I got uh, full-time into blockchain late last year. Um, prior to that, I was more of a hobbyist. I initially got into blockchain um, from a things-to-build-on perspective. So I had been um, working on a number of software startups over the years, and um, probably in about 15, um, 16, I came across Ethereum um, when I was doing some research on uh, potential ways to build what we were trying to produce um, software-wise. And um, after that, I, I just delved more and more into blockchain as a, um, like a software system and a uh, distributed database over the years, um, mostly on a volunteer basis. And then more recently, I um, moved to blockchain full-time. So I guess professionally, my background um, was Initially in um, politics, so I, I did a coalition building um, in politics for a while prior to getting into uh, the more business development and business coalitions aspect of uh, software startups. So that uh, eventually led me to where I am today, uh, which is uh, working in the blockchain industry running Coalitions.io, which is a firm that helps blockchain companies, nonprofits, and consortia build intentional strategic partnerships with um, other entities inside blockchain and outside blockchain. Very cool. So was Ethereum like your entry point uh, into the industry? So um, I guess technically you could say that, although um, after after learning about Ethereum, I actually attempted to teach myself Solidity for mm-hmm. a couple of months. And, um, and during that phase, I was like, this is a really big barrier to entry. <laughs> So I, um, I had known PHP in the past, and I, um, I wasn't too familiar with many of the languages that Solidity was based off of, um, and that, um, that led me to try to see if there were any other blockchains out there that you could build on. Turns out there are a lot of them, and um, through that experience, I ended up uh, discovering ESIO. Uh, which is probably the blockchain that I'm most familiar with these days. Um, although I, I'm kind of agnostic to um, which chains uh, 
I, I look at for different use cases. Um, so I'm not really a, a maximalist for ESIO, but mm. I think that uh, they were a really, really cool chain uh, when I was first researching because the barrier to entry for development was so much lower because it, it was a C++. Um, you could develop on it in C++, or really any WebAssembly language. So um, I, I guess technically, yeah, you could say I got in through Ethereum. And I like Ethereum, but ESIO, I would say, is more so my entry point. Uh, that's why I got like really, really excited about it. Very cool. Yeah, I, Ethereum was also my entry point um, as an investment and also in mining back when it was uh, doable on, on GPUs and you could build build out rigs for relatively cheap. Um, that was that was always fun, building those awesome. computers. Uh, I learned so much uh, going through the, the hashing algorithms and uh, learning on learning about it from a more technical side. Yeah, that, that was fun. Um, and it sounds like you have quite a background too, which is awesome. And I know today you want to talk a little bit about uh, coalitions. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what coalitions are and what you guys are doing? Yeah, so um, the, the company um, that I run is called Coalitions.io, and um, my team and I essentially help our clients figure out um, the best way to maximize their external partnership. So right now, um, almost every software company out there has a set of external partners. Whether or not those partnerships are intentional is a different thing. So um, a lot of companies have uh, a plethora of partnerships, but only some of them are giving them uh, why they've expected. Some of the partnerships are one-sided. Uh, some of the partnerships end up failing uh, after short periods of time. And what we do is we help our clients develop intentional strategic partnership strategies. So what does that mean? That means identifying what your company has to offer other companies or, or other entities, uh, whether you're a nonprofit or a consortium who's looking for external partnerships. And then after we identify what your capabilities are, we identify what needs you have. So whether that's you need assistance in more clients, uh, potentially you'd want to look at like a marketing-type partnership, or whether you have a lack of um, internal developer resources, potentially you'd want to look at a, a resource partnership uh, with another entity. So we, we help identify what you have, what you need, and then after that, we help you identify what companies out there that have that, that puzzle piece fit to, to be able to mutually add value for each other. Um, once we've identified those companies, we either help you set a strategy for facilitating your outreach and getting your team in an initial relationship with these entities, or um, we can actually help facilitate that initial relationship development, facilitate the contract development, make sure you're protecting IP and stuff like that. So it's kind of a, a full circle, full service firm as far as external partnerships goes. Very nice. Yeah, I mean, I talked to Thomas about uh, quite quite a lot of details. It was actually, a really really good conversation um, on governance. But um, I'd, I'd love to hear your side of it too on what you think about governance um, and, and why it's important. Yeah, so um, we lost this with Thomas, and he probably mentioned a lot about the IEEE P one two four five blockchain 
government standards organization. So um, I've been working with him to kind of bootstrap that. And what we're producing is technical standards for governance. So that's um, everything from figuring out how to actually talk about governance um, across different chains, which is uh, very difficult right now because of such vast and different terminology used depending on which, uh, which circle you're in. Um, everything from that to actually producing guidelines to, um, so that companies and consortia and entities building blockchain solutions can have something to reference as they're designing their system. So from my perspective, um, one of the things that I really care about is facilitating, uh, facilitating collaboration. That's why I'm passionate about partnerships. That's why I'm passionate about, uh, you know, consortia and entities like that, DAOs. But um, it's also something that is, is so inherent in governance. So governance is um, essentially just the, the frameworks, the social frameworks that um, facilitate interaction uh, of people through blockchain systems. Mm-hmm. And it's a fascinating area of study. Um, and What's pretty cool about governance specifically is there is such a breadth um, and depth of research that is directly applicable to building blockchain systems um, that has been written over the past hundred years because humans have always organized themselves in um, in structural ways and tried to do things like create incentives uh, for actors to um, you know interact with others in good faith and. Uh, reduce the incentive to to steal or to um, try to manipulate the system in certain ways. So um, in economics and sociology, um, there's just such a, a breadth of intersections when it comes to um, the study of governance and the design of governance. So it's been a very interesting area to work in um, over the past couple of months. And um, I guess with my background in politics, it was kind of just, Something that was really interesting um, to me from the beginning. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's very interesting. I, I remember when I was talking with Salamis about it. We're talking about how there's such a, for a long time, a lack of focus on governance, um, referencing stuff like the DAO hack, um, and then uh, like Maersk and on, like some ongoing issues with how some of these projects are run. And in a lot of ways, we just we don't always come together and talk about that stuff. Um, but it's it's great to see that you guys are are pushing those conversations and bringing more people together, especially in the in the blockchain space because it's so competitive right now. Uh, you have one project that thinks that they're doing something better than the other, and then and then nothing mm-hmm. really. And then you don't get these people together, like creating new solutions and ideas as often. And you got so many young people coming into the space um, that are trying to pick and choose where they want to get involved and governance just overall is really really fascinating too so i'm glad you guys are doing a lot of work on it uh we've been trying to work in tandem with as many organizations as possible um just bringing together representatives from all of the chains under the sun um or at least the ones that we can get in contact so if um if anyone in the audience is uh collaborating uh with the the team of any specific chain and the governance capacity would be more than happy to have you yeah, absolutely. I'll put some info in the description for the episode too, so they can uh, get in touch or reach out. 
Have you guys seen like a slowdown in collaboration or partnerships, like given uh, the situation in the U.S. With the, with the virus, with the market? Has that like affected um, your ability to, to pull people together to discuss governance or even with coalitions? So surprisingly, I think it's been the opposite. So really? it's, it's kind of peculiar because what would expect that with, um, you know, not being have as much of an ability to come together at conferences or meet in person that, um, that it would reduce collaboration. But it's, it's almost been shocking, shocking over the past couple of weeks um, how many people are more accessible because they're not, um, you know, out and about doing things. So I, I've seen a lot, a lot more interaction, um, not only on social media, but just, um, you know, people having ideas to um, have unique sorts of gatherings in a decentralized manner um, or more, um, more like collaborative video conferencing or, um, and things like that. So it's, it's, um, it's definitely not been more difficult to facilitate collaboration. However, I think that that's also just, I wouldn't say it's unique to the blockchain industry. I'd say it's more unique to um, like the, the software um, industry as a whole. Um, a lot of people that work in, in this world are more um, you know, able and used to collaborating in a remote way. So um, I would say that it definitely has not been reducing collaboration. And I think that over the coming months, um, depending, I guess, on how long this whole situation lasts, um, I think that we're going to see even more unique, uh, unique collaboration digitally. Um, I think that it's going to be really cool to watch. Yeah, so do I. It's, it's interesting that to hear that, too. I guess people being stuck at home or in self-quarantine or freed up, I guess, and don't have much on their schedule. Um, yeah. But I've, I've definitely noticed it yeah. from the from the podcasting side, too. Yeah. And one thing that's been kind of cool is um, there's a trend starting on LinkedIn um, to post either the speaking notes or post a video of you delivering the speech that you would have given at a conference. And um, and keeping, keeping the content rolling just in, in a different manner. Um, and a manner that actually, you know, gives you more views than it would have uh, than you would have had for your speech at a a single location type conference, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's also been super cool to see. Anyone out there who has had a speech postponed, go post it to LinkedIn. People want to see it. Oh yeah, there, I've seen a lot of stuff, uh, even associated with LinkedIn too. People that are can't give speeches, they can't go to big events and stuff, and they're trying to find different ways uh, to get their their message out. Um, it was actually really interesting. The, the Zoom app is uh, skyrocketed on the App Store. It's the number one app right now, even over uh, like TikTok and whatnot. So it's, um, it's kind of funny to see that. Wow. But I mean, people are, seem to be adapting fairly well. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what humans do. Uh, <laughs> humans are very good at adapting. So let's, I have a question for you. Um, what, what do you think about yeah. what's happened uh, with the crypto markets? Lately, I mean, there's a lot of people that for a long time have said that Bitcoin might be a store of value or that um, some of these other projects might potentially be stores of value or hedges against different things that happen 
um, in the world, uh, major events and whatnot. Um, and then some compare it to being a hedge just against financial markets. And obviously with the, the virus and the concerns there, a lot of people have been selling out of their crypto too and really depressed the markets quite a bit on that front, not just in equities and not just in metals, um, but across the board. So it's kind of interesting. I know a lot of people are trying to put their finger on it, but I was kind of curious if you had an opinion on it, what you thought um, might be the reason for that. Yeah. So um, I was actually just chatting with a, a couple of my friends on this um, earlier today. So if you look at what's happening in the gold market, um, we're also seeing decreases, obviously not as dramatic as um, the sell-offs in, in crypto. However, the, the similar aspect um, with both of these sell-offs uh, is the market, is, or the, the people um, that are, you know, the holders of these assets are selling off less liquid assets and purchasing more liquid assets, aka just cash, mm-hmm. um, USD or another currency, or even um, like that. If you think about it, um, whether we're talking about gold or whether we're talking about um, cryptocurrency, they're not very easy right now to exchange for goods and services, especially if you're talking at a um, in like an international logistics type scale. If you're a company that um, is manufacturing um, toothbrushes, for example, uh, you need to pay your um, you need to pay your logistics company, you need to pay your um, employees, you need to pay uh, countless um, services entities, and you can't really pay them in gold, you can't really pay them in um, cryptocurrency. I'm not saying that these companies are necessarily holding these cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. or holding this gold. However, you know that the leaders of those companies have their assets in, um, in stuff like this. There's not, um, right now, um, and I, I know you mentioned this before, a lot of people are using cryptocurrency as a, a store of value as opposed to a currency to transact with. And I think that that is the reason why we're seeing this. Um, even though there are a lot of cryptocurrencies that are very capable to transact with and very capable of um, you know, replicating one day the liquidity of the dollar, that's not the case right now. Not as enough people um, accept this currency, um, unfortunately. So it doesn't have the ability to have the same liquidity as the dollar um, or just fiat in general. So people are cashing out of their less liquid assets and cashing into more liquid assets. So that's my take on it, at least. Yeah, I, I totally agree with your take. Um, it, it really seems like a, a big cash grab. I mean, people are scared and they're trying to go out and buy stuff and stock up on things. And, you know, it, it is hard to mm-hmm. to purchase things with with Bitcoin or with crypto or, or even gold and stuff like that. Um, you can't just take it down to your local Starbucks and, and get a coffee, um, let alone mm-hmm. go to Costco and buy the entire store. Um but I mean, it's an interesting scenario. Yeah. It's an interesting scenario because it, it, in a lot of ways, it could force people to innovate even more with um, things like Bitcoin and create more solutions so people can spend it. So it might drive that awareness. 
and as as these banks get more exactly. yeah and as these banks get more pressure put on them by fed rate cuts and the injections and um people panicking and rushing to the bank and the tech companies putting pressure on them um that that also might be a catalyst for you know crypto and digital assets in general to um see an influx um again maybe even relatively soon to relatively more normal levels but it's it's interesting to to kind of watch it drop with that yeah that candlestick was pretty crazy for one day yeah yeah so um even though um like, like I said, uh, right now, mm. cryptocurrencies aren't liquid enough in comparison to more liquid options. Um, if those liquid options turn out to go into hyperinflation, then they're no longer the best thing to put your money in. Because if you can't transact with, um, with these without you know, losing such large percents of the value daily, and, like we've seen in nations over the past couple of years and that have experienced hyperinflation with these, um, these, you know, endless money printing scenarios. In situations like that, you do see cryptocurrencies um, overshadowing fiat currencies. And you do see cryptocurrencies gaining more liquidity, um, enough liquidity to facilitate, um, you know, larger percents of the population using them. So I do think that that's incredibly feasible, um, obviously depending on how, uh, how long it takes for inflation to hit with all of this quantitative easing, because um, they've been pretty good at, at, um, at manipulating the economy mm-hmm. um, this far. So it's, it's crazy how, how far they've been able to push back um, hyperinflation, but I can't really say when that's going to hit. So Yeah, I, I don't think anyone can... Put a put a date on it, but it does seem like things are accelerating mm-hmm. with what's going on in the markets and everything, and the Fed getting that involved yeah. and pushing rates to practically zero. That's that's definitely not going to help the case. Zero. Yeah, literally. But yeah, it's yeah. cash. The outlook on cash in general is not looking too good with everything that's happening, and hopefully people reinvest before um, that that day does come. Yeah, uh, I think that there will be even more market tells that will point in that direction in the future, in the near future. Yeah. We'll see that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we wrap up the podcast and kind of come to the end, um, for the people out there that might be more interested in coalitions and, and or governance, um, how can they learn more about it and if they're interested and want to get involved what's the best best avenue for them to to get in contact or to chat about it or are there like forums or is the websites just a good place to go um where would you direct people yeah so um i guess the the big project that coalition bio is working on in the community right now is we're doing a um a piece of research on the partnership ecosystem so what that means is we're going out and surveying um, blockchain companies, blockchain consortia, nonprofits, anyone who is building a, a blockchain solution. And um, we are asking that you provide us a little bit of generic, um, general information on how you're going about doing partnership work. So we are going to have the um, pre-registration for this up on our website in a few days. 
So you'll be able to view this um, probably by the time this podcast is posted at coalitionsio.org. Uh, actually, no, just coalitions.io. Cool. And um, there'll be a link on the front page. So that'd be um, cool if, if you're building anything in blockchain. It'd be awesome if we could have your contribution there. Um, and then as far as governance stuff goes, um, let's see, the, the best way to collaborate um, with the IEEE P1345 um, standards organization is definitely just by reaching out to me at my email. So that's K-I-R-S-T-E-N at Coalition Bio. And um, I'm sure that you could post that in the, the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Um do you guys have social media, or are you guys active um, on LinkedIn or Twitter? Yeah, um, so um, the IEEE organization is decently active on LinkedIn. So um, if you just type in uh, IEEE P1, uh, P2145 blockchain governance, you'll probably be able to find us. Uh, we post um, any big updates we have on there, and um, that's pretty much the only social media we are super active on, um, and Coalition Bio uh, is also on LinkedIn. Um, so if you just search our, our name, you'll be able to find us. Awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll put that stuff in the description as well and make sure people know to go check it out. But Kirsten, thank you for taking the awesome. time. Thank you for taking the time to come on. Uh, I really appreciate it, and I'm sure a lot of people will find it very valuable to know more about uh, coalitions and what you guys are doing there with strategic partnerships and with governance and how important it is. Um, and really, really appreciate that you took the time. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Brandon. Awesome. Uh, talk to you next time. Talk to you next time.